0: Hey, and welcome again to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus minister and taking on more roles every week, it seems. Um, it's really good to see you guys, especially good to see you because we talked about predestination last week and uh, you didn't all not come back, so I appreciate you guys doing that. Um, it's really good to see you, especially a welcome to you if you're a visitor, if this is one of your first times or your first time at RUF. It's our joy to have you. Um, we hope that you find this to be a welcoming, uh, comfortable place, a safe place uh, for you, regardless of where you're at. Um, As I said before, this is a place for you, regardless of your past or your present, um, whatever you're going through, that you can come and uh, uh, see what the Bible has to say about the good news of Jesus. And um, you can do that. I mean, the group is big enough where you can just kind of come and you can be anonymous and you can listen and you can leave and kind of take it on your own terms. And that's great and you're welcome to do that. Um, but if you would really like to kind of dig in and figure out what this is all about, uh, you got to do it in the community. We're going to talk about that tonight. But get in a community group. Go to a small group. Um, if you're a freshman, go to freshman Bible study. Get to know some people. Um, you're going to be very frustrated trying to figure these things out on your own, whether you're a Christian or not. So that is my appeal to you. Uh, this semester, we're, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, and we're doing a little series called Boring and Beautiful. And what I hope that God's going to do Uh, And what I'm pitching to you is um, that the Christian life is often very boring and mundane and monotonous, but that's where the action is. That's where God's working um, in the boring sort of monotonous things of our lives. And uh, I just want to see if God can, by his grace, free us from living for the next weekend, living for the next party, living for the next game, living for the next retreat, living for the next whatever and instead, said, just focus on what he's doing right now. So we're looking through Ephesians. And tonight, we're looking at the second part of chapter one. And um, I would say if there, there's one thing that's true about all of us here, is that we all have a deep desire to be known. Uh, it's probably where you spend, and same for me, most of your time, effort, and money is getting people to notice you or getting people to know you. We want people, um, we want to be known, we want to be, some of us want to be respected, some of us want to be feared, I don't know, um, some of us want to be seen as being beautiful, but all of us want to be known, all of us want to have, we have the sort of intimate need to be known, and we all share that. And um, I think that that is one of the byproducts of being created in God's image, because as we'll see tonight, God wants to be known. He wants you to know him. Um, the uh, quintessential aspect of, the, of life, if you want to know the meaning of life, you might disagree with me on this. But certainly the meaning of the Christian life and according to the Bible, the meaning of all life is to know God. That's it. Um, that is the essence of life, is knowing God. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians or look on the screen. Did someone leave this Bible last week? And didn't come back. Um, Well, thank you, because I forgot my Bible, and this is very providential. Um, So whoever you are, God bless you. (laughs) Um, So we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, and starting in the 15th verse. So uh, this is the word of God, albeit borrowed from some strange person. For this reason... The church, which is his body, the fullness of him, fulfills all in all. This is God's word. Let's ask for his blessing. Father, we thank you, as we always do, um, for your word. Uh, Lord, every man is a liar. We are all wildly inconsistent, but you're not. And your word is true. And so, oh Holy Spirit, would you be with us now? Uh, We thank you for the reading of your word. Um, Lord, would you bless now even the teaching of it for your glory and for our good. Reveal yourself to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, the sum total of the Christian life is to know God. It's knowing God. That's the point. Uh, That's what we're here for. Actually, I would say what every human being is here for is to know God. And Paul is writing, as we saw last week, he's writing to this church in Ephesus, and the churches around Ephesus, which is like Turkey now, so sort of southwestern Asia. And uh, he's writing to them, and he's very thankful for them. Um, As he says, "...for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints..." I do not cease to give thanks for you. And the reason why he's so excited about them and the reason why he's praying for them all the time is those two things. He says, because I've heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And if you're wondering what it means to be a Christian, that is a great summary of what it means to be a Christian. That you believe in the Lord Jesus and then you exercise love toward all the saints. That is toward other Christians. Uh, You can't have one or the other. It's, 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 it's a two-pronged uh, thing. So, you know, we hear all the time, you know, that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're nice, right? As long as you lead a good life, that's all that matters. You know, your ideology or your theology or religion, it doesn't really matter as long as you're a good person, right? Um, that's all that anyone cares about and you, commit and you, uh, you know, contribute to society. But I think that's actually a pretty naive view um, of, of life because what we believe our deepest beliefs uh, affect how we treat people. Uh, it affects how we, how we live our lives. Because you can't say, well, as long as you're nice to people. But you have to believe that people have some inherent value, right? That people aren't just there to be used for your own gain. Um, because, you know, you could believe that people just might be in your way of you achieving the things that you want to achieve. And so, therefore, they should be neutralized, Right. Or maybe that other people are a threat to your way of life, or to your community's way of life, or your family's way of life, and therefore they should be marginalized, right? Or that certain ethnic or racial groups, or genders, or ages, or abilities, that they're not worthy, or they're not equal in society, and therefore they should be marginalized. What you believe has a a tremendous effect on how you treat people. You have to believe something about people uh, in order to treat them well. You have to believe that people have value, Um, And there's no better place, uh, there's nothing better to believe um, about people to treat them nicely other than that Jesus Christ died for sinners, that we all have a need in Jesus. So believing in Jesus, uh, I would argue, is the greatest motivator for being nice to people. Because when you approach a person, you never come to them from a a higher position than they're in, right? Because you recognize, man, that person's messed up, but I'm messed up. And I need Jesus. And we both need Jesus. Therefore, the, the playing field is equal. Uh, so if you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you truly are able to have patience with people and love people because you recognize we're all screwed up. And we all need Jesus. And so therefore, we can get along. And if you're not a Christian, what's, what's your reason for being nice to people? Uh, I'm sure you have one. But is, is it as good as that? Um, So what we believe determines how we treat people, but on the other hand, you can't just say that you're a Christian and say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but then treat other people in a way that Jesus doesn't treat people. You can't, if you're a believer, uh, have an attitude that says, you know, I believe in Jesus, but people have to earn my respect. You know, I judge people by what they do, and if they don't earn my respect, if they don't act a certain way, I don't treat them well. That is not an option for you if you're a Christian, because that's not how Jesus Jesus treats people. Jesus doesn't wait for people to get cleaned up, to get their lives together, before he exercises mercy and kindness to to them. If he did that, we would all be in a huge mess. So you're not allowed to just say, uh, I'm a Christian, but I wait and let people prove it. That applies to your roommates. That applies to the people in this room that you don't like, the people in this university that you don't like. It applies to your family. Um, but as that sage prophet, John Mayer, um, said, of course, love is a verb. And, um, and uh, so you also can't just say that you're a Christian and like sort of say, well, people matter and I love people in a general sort of ethereal, emotional sense. But I don't ever really do anything about it. I don't really uh, I'm not really involved in the church. I don't really exercise love toward people. That doesn't work either. Um, if you're living in isolation away from other Christians and saying that you love them, you are inherently inconsistent. Now, if you're that person, one of those people I just mentioned, does that mean that you're not a Christian? No, not necessarily. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that, but what it means is it's time to take a look in the mirror. And I think we could all do that. Um, And he's talking about Christians. So this is like sort of Christian on Christian crime. Like, it's not just whether you're nice to people in general. Do you love and exercise love and show love to other believers? Um, You've got to believe in Jesus and love the saints. That's what it means to be a Christian. So Paul sees these people. He realizes that these are true tr- Christians. They have a genuine faith. Um, and so he starts praying for them. Look what he's praying for them for, 17 and 18, if you have a Bible. Uh, He says he remembers them in their prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul is praying for these people that are already Christians, that they will know God, that they'll know Jesus. If you're ever wondering, you know, it's like, okay, what does it take to become a Christian? Jesus. Okay, so what do you do after that? Jesus, you know, Jesus. You get to know Jesus even better. Because the heart of the Christian faith, um, no matter what your professor may have told you, is not a precept to be ascribed to. It's not a set of rules to follow. It's not a lifestyle to lead. Uh, it's not a grand rule to commit your life to. The very heart of the Christian faith is a person to know. The heart of the Christian faith is a person. Um, and that's pretty amazing if you think about it. Uh, the heartbeat of the Christian faith is God wants to know you, God knows you, and God wants you to know him. Uh, the king of the universe desires for you to know him. Um, that's his desire. He's a person to be known. Now, probably all of us from personal experience can say that lurking on someone's Facebook page is not a way to get to know someone. Um, <laughs> It's a great way to see all their pictures over and over and over again, um, depending on who they are. Um, it's a great way to know their birthday and whether or not they listen to the you know, Ava brothers, but it's not a way to get to know someone. You can learn something about the person, but you can't say that you really know that person, right? Um, because in order to know a person, they have to let you in. Uh, if you go out on a date with a guy or a girl and they sit across from you at the table the whole time and they say nothing, you will know what hair color they have, what they like to eat, but you won't know them. They have to let you in. That's how God is too. We can't just come to God in an attached way and learn facts about him and then therefore know him. God has to show himself to us. He has to let us in. He has to reveal himself. And that's why Paul's praying that in, in Verse 17. Uh, he says that, that, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. If we want to know God, it's his prerogative to show himself, to us, to reveal himself, to give us revelation. And that's humbling um, because that means it's not on our own terms. That, we don't set the terms with God for him being known. Uh, we started looking at that last week. That's going to be a theme that goes through. Uh, God is a little bit more in control than we might be comfortable with. And he's the one that determines how much you do or don't know about him. But on the other hand, it's incredibly liberating, right? Because what if God wants to be known? And what if he wants to show himself to you? What if he didn't have to? What if he wasn't obligated to, but he wanted to? And he said, I want you to come, and I want you to know me, and I want to show you who I am. I want to show you my heart. I want to show you my character. Uh, I want you to know me. Um, what would that do for your insecurity? What? Maybe, if you, could you say, if you started to believe, God wants me to know him, that you wouldn't need everybody to like you and approve of you and tell you that you're the best? What if God wanted you to know him? Um, that would free us, wouldn't it? From needing desperately everyone to love us. Um, because when God shows himself to us, 1 Peter says, that's something that angels long to look at. Something that angels long to look at. Um, angels are jealous of the access that you have to God if you're a believer. Um, and that's pretty good. Um, so that God wants so God wants us to know Him, and that's a tremendous kindness for Him to us. Because after all, we need to know God. We often sort of act and live our lives like knowing God is something, you know, is part of my spiritual life. You know, have my school life have my romantic life, I have my professional life, and I have my spiritual life. and Knowing God fits into the spiritual life category very well, uh, but it doesn't really affect the rest of my life. We don't need God in those other realms, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, J.I. Packer, who is a dear, wonderful theologian with a huge dent in his forehead. um, I love him. I don't really know why I said that about the dent in his forehead, but he does. I like to think that it's a satellite dish straight to the Holy Spirit. Um, (laughs) Laughter J.I. Packer's the best. Uh, He says this, knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square and leave him, as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange... Mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. It's a tremendous kindness to us that God comes and he says, I want you to know me because knowing him unlocks everything in the world to us we we suddenly know why everything is we don't know how how everything works but we know why so god so, so god wants us to know him but what is it that god wants us to know um, verse 18 and 19 he says i'm praying for you that you'll have this, the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you know you know god having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Um, so basically what he's saying is what, what what God wants you to know about himself chiefly is the hope that you have, um, what's the, the, the inheritance that you're going to get, and the power. And if you think about it, that's kind of underwhelming, right? Because... If you become a Christian, you kind of already know that, right? Because you've got to go, okay, so I became a Christian, and my hope is that God won't judge me for my sin because of Jesus and that I'll have eternal life. That's my hope. And I'm going to have this inheritance, right? I'm going to get to be with God and go to heaven, right? And that there's a power that's working in me right now. Like, you kind of know that almost day one. And that's kind of the point, The thing, the way, the the stuff that you need to know to become a Christian is the stuff that you need to know to grow as a Christian. Um, It doesn't change. The music is kind of the same, right? And this is kind of why we're doing this boring and beautiful thing. We're not waiting for something else. We're not waiting for chapter two, right? Okay, I got chapter one. It's all about the hope and where we're going. And chapter two is, chapter two isn't there. It's just chapter one and then like a lot of pages for notes after that. Because um, it's the same material and then it's you fleshing it out and learning more and more and going deeper. I, I love saying this, but uh, Martin Luther was famous um, in the 16th century. But he, his congregation used to always ask him, Pastor, when are we going to do something besides the gospel? When are you going to talk about something besides the gospel? And he would say, well, when you start getting that, then we'll move on. And, of course, he did the gospel every single week. Because the basic building blocks that you need to know to grow in knowledge of God, if you're a Christian, you already know them. The thing, the, the things by which we become a Christian is what we use to grow as a Christian. And that's a really good corrective um, for us. Uh, because we're looking for something exciting. We're looking for some new material, right? We're looking for something original. But Christianity... like. If you're in here because, like, okay, there's more people in this room than some of the other ministries, and so this will be a place for you to be the cool type of Christian, like, you are in for a lifetime of heartache, okay? Because Christianity is inherently not cool. Please, please buy that now before you just spend the next ten years of your life trying to find a church that's really cool. Um, Christianity is inherently not original, uh, everything that you need to know as a Christian is inherently derivative. Like somebody already thought that thought before you did. Uh, I was really reminded of this a friend of mine who does RUF at the University of South Carolina. Uh, his name is Sammy. And uh, he had a brief brush with Twitter fame, um, which is not something that I wish on any of you. Um, if you want to be Twitter famous, just stop now. Don't become Twitter famous. It was nothing but heartache uh, for him. Um, but what happened to him was a really good reminder that Christians aren't original and can't be. Uh, he, he's a pastor, he's a campus minister, and he told jokes on Twitter, and they were really funny. Like, really funny. Like, I, I miss them every, every single day. Um, uh, but what he would do is he saw Twitter as sort of like this marketplace of ideas to be exchanged. And so what he would do is if someone made a joke... He thought was funny he would kind of like kind of take that same essence and make another joke that was similar to it, um, kind of like being like in a jam band like you know then the bass is kind of going for a solo and then the you know the, you know, the guitar kind of goes you know, riffing off each other right um, just kind of picking up an idea and running with it and that 's what really happens in the world right um, but that was a mistake for him on, on Twitter in comedy, and he um, he wrote, he wrote a great. Blog post called "The Rise and Fall of Prodigal Sam." You should you should read it. Uh, but he, he suffered a tremendous uh, backlash from like some professional comedians on Twitter, and um, including the guy from Ratatouille. But anyway, uh, I mean, really, this awful, terrible stuff. But he wrote this because he's a pastor, okay? In ministry, in case I didn't make that point already, he's a pastor. Um, he said this, in ministry, the last thing you want to be is original. You want to see yourself as building upon the work of those who've gone before you. And you're not afraid to take a thought or idea and put it into your own words. Not so with comedy. Because um, people were like, dude, you're trying to come and get my money. Okay? Because in comedy, there is no sharing of ideas. But if you're a Christian... You're inherently unoriginal. Everything that is the bread and butter of your life, someone's already thought about it. They're probably smarter than you, and they've talked about it. And what we're doing right now is talking about something that someone wrote 2,000 years ago, just about, and something that people have preached on thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of times. And we're just saying it slightly different. Um, knowing God always stays the same. Um, because what happens when we begin to have life in Jesus? Um, is it's literally coming out of darkness so like imagine you were locked in a basement that was totally dark god, god forbid um, that would be terrible uh, so you were locked in a basement that was totally dark for several years and then the day you got let out was like this morning where it's like snow everywhere and super sunshiny right as soon as you walk out what are you going to see you're going to see nothing it's going to be like staring into that projector Okay? And basically, what's going to happen is uh, over time, hopefully quickly, your eyes have to adjust to the light that you're now living in. Right? Um, the scenery doesn't change. But it's so overwhelming almost that it takes your eyes a long time to adjust to seeing. You start to see the shapes, then you start to see everything else. Simply put, if you're a Christian or if you become a Christian, the rest of your life is just your eyes adjusting to the light that you're living in in Jesus. There's not a lot of new material. There's tons of stuff in here for us to learn. And it kind of all goes back to the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, the riches that we have in Jesus, and the power of him working uh, in our lives. Um, and that's why if you're here and you've like, you know, read something in the Bible, you heard someone talking about it, heard a friend say something, and you're like, oh, yeah. Like, I've heard that a million times, but I don't think it ever really sunk in. Uh, that's going to be the rest of your life if you're a Christian. Oh, right. Jesus was resurrected, and that means I'm going to re- Oh, I knew that. I knew that. But it didn't really sink in. It, the sinking in is the rest of our lives. So we grow in knowledge of God by th- thinking about our hope, thinking about the riches that we have in Jesus. And the third thing is what Paul really, really camps out on. He's talking about the power. Uh, He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What Paul's saying is the power that is working in your life, If you're a Christian or if you put your faith in Jesus is the same thing that made Jesus rise from the dead. And the same thing that took Jesus up into heaven, right? Because that's what God's doing for us. If you're not a believer, we're going to look at this next week. The Bible says that you're dead. You're like a dead person walking around. Uh, And then God has to make you alive, has to resurrect you. And he's taking you up with him. But have you ever thought about it? That God's going to do the same thing and is doing the same thing in you that he did to Jesus. It's the same power. It's the exact same thing. And this is what that means. That means if you're a believer, God isn't holding back on you. God isn't going to really give Jesus anything that he isn't also going to give you. He's going to treat you exactly the way that he treated his son when he was in the tomb. He's going to bring you to life, and he's going to seat you up with him. So if God's doing the same thing for us that he did to Jesus, let me ask you this. Do you really think that you will never grow? Like, can we just take a deep breath and be like, we're 19. And so that means that I am not as far along as, like, my 80-year-old grandmother that's been a Christian her whole life. Like, can we just, like, take a deep breath and be like, Okay, God's working resurrection power in my life. Like, I'm probably going to be good. I'm going to grow because it's up to him. And that's what I have. And talking about insecurities, mercy. He's going to work that in you. Okay and, okay, and if you're not a Christian and you've come and, you know, you hear this stuff and you're like, this kind of sounds, because this was me at a point before I became Christian. Like, this stuff sounds pretty good, but I'm afraid I'm afraid, especially if I consider myself a smart intellectual person, which I didn't, but you might. Um, that if I finally like step all the way over here and I'm like I'm a Christian, that I might find out that it's not true, and then I'll look really foolish to all my friends. Um, if that's you, God says that He's going to work the same power in you that He worked in Jesus. And I'm not saying that's going to dispel all your fears right now, but could it start? Could you start to believe that God can do it? That like he can pull you over here and he can keep you? Um, that he can dispel your doubts? Um, so God wants, to, wants us to know him. We saw what he wants us to know. And if you're interested in that at all, you're like, okay, the God of the universe wants to know me. I'm somewhat interested in that. Um, He wants to work this power in me. I want to get in on that life-changing power action. Um, I will tell you a secret of where you can get it. Are you all listening? I'm only going to say this once. If you want that, the trick is get in the church. And everybody left at one time. Because I know that it sounds sort of inherently like, womp, 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 like, um, okay, because I've been to a church, okay, and so have you probably. I go to a church every week. It doesn't really feel like the place where I'm going and I'm life-changing Jesus' power and I'm growing my knowledge. Okay, all right, just bear with me. If you want to be in the place where God is the most at work, where you are going to grow as a Christian, it's in the church. The local church. Yes, the local church that is in Boone. Okay, not your favorite church that's home. You're here, the church in Boone. Okay, because listen to what Paul says, 21 through 23. The power, God's power brought Jesus out from the grave, took him up to heaven, and put him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Basically, God resurrected Jesus. Jesus goes up he takes the throne. He is on high. There is literally, it's a pyramid, and Jesus is at the top, and everything else is underneath of him. He is the king of the universe. He's in charge of everything. He controls every single thing in the universe, every molecule, everywhere, okay? Even like the deep, dark stuff, we have no idea where it is, both in here and out in the space, right? And uh, so Jesus is in charge of everything. Everything is created for him. He creates everything. And on his desk is a nameplate, and it says, Jesus, head of the church. Jesus cares more about the church than he does about anything else. And he's working there unlike he's working anywhere else. Eugene Peterson says this. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. I'm going to say that again. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he filled everything with his presence. There is like some weird stuff to believe as a Christian. Um, This is probably very close to the top. Um, That... The church isn't peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. But what does he say in verse 23? The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Jesus fills everything. Jesus fills the church most supremely. Um, and again, yes, I have been to a church. Yes, I have been to a church in Boone. Yes, I do go to a church in Boone. Okay, um, that is very, very, very surprising. Um, Jesus wants to fill the earth. So G- the first thing Jesus does is fill the church. And then the church fills the earth. Okay, so a couple of thoughts. Are you ashamed of the church? Are you embarrassed of the church? Are you embarrassed of your church? Like, you go to a church, but then when your friend comes to town, you take them somewhere else because it's a little bit embarrassing to go to your church Um, because there's that one person that always farts in church or whatever. Um, If you're ashamed of the church, please know that Jesus is not ashamed of the church. He isn't. Jesus married the church. That means that Jesus looked around, just like you may be looking around at all these young women, or young men, mostly young women. And when you look around, you say, I want to pick the cream of the crop. That's what I did. I want to pick the best. Jesus looked around, and he said, that church, that's mine. That's my woman. That's my bride. And he takes her around on his arm, and he says, everybody look. I'm proud of her. She's not finished. But I love her, and I'm not ashamed of her. So should you be ashamed of her? Jesus isn't ashamed of you. Why are you ashamed of the church? Or are you dismissive of the church? Yeah, well, you know, God's doing this all this great stuff, and, like, this thing happens on Sunday morning. It's mostly boring, and it's mostly just, like, kind of reading some old text that I don't really care about, and it's dusty, and it's uncomfortable, So, you know, what God's really doing is out there, not really in here. You don't really need the church. Um, Really? It says here, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If that's you, whether you're a Christian or you're not, and you just dismiss the church, I would be careful about whose body that you're talking about. Jesus is most intimately active in the church. Um, we're going to play out, kind of tease out what that means uh, as we go, but we'll end with this. Uh, we have a wood stove in our house. It's great, because nothing makes you feel like more of a man than like chopping wood and heating your home for your family. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. It's like the, the, the heat source of our house. It works great. It doesn't dry out your, na- your, your sinus. It's great. Um, but the point of a wood fire, of a wood stove, is not necessarily to have like a big roaring flame. It's to have a bunch, of, like a lot of like burning coals, right? A bunch of embers. That's what really, really heats your house. So sometimes when I open the door to kind of tend the fire, put a log in or whatever, one like little ember will fall out onto the brick of like the the fireplace, and pretty quickly it goes from being this bright orange, just you know, it's dancing, you know, this little dancing move that does. This bright orange glowing, like if you touched it, it would be really bad and you would be at the emergency room. And like a couple of seconds, it becomes very dull as it cools off and it begins to get cold. But once I tend the fire, sometimes I'll scoop that ember back up and throw it back in. Almost as soon as it's back in, even when it's not touching the fire, it starts to get red again. It starts to glow again. It starts to get hot again. And it joins with all the other coals. And providing heat throughout the entire house. So my question for you is, if you're desperately trying to grow, if you're desperately trying to know God, and you find yourself getting colder and more detached, um, could it be because you see the church as peripheral? I know that's challenging, okay? I know it. Because look, you're 18 to 22 And you're better looking than anyone in the church that you go to, probably, unless you go to the heart. And uh, Sorry. I only say that because Daniel goes to the heart and he's regular. Um, So I understand it's challenging. Because there's not a lot of instant payoff. But if you hear me saying one thing tonight, it's this. The sum total of life is knowing God. And the place that God has promised that he will show himself to you and grow you is in the church. Do you believe it? Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you that you haven't left us alone. Lord, that you want us to grow, that you want us to know you. And Lord, thank you that you do it in the church. Because that's tangible. And that's a real place with real people, with real problems that really need Jesus. And they're not airbrushed and and touched up. They don't always say the right thing. Um, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you call us to be part of that body which you are not ashamed of. Lord, teach us what that means in the coming weeks. And do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.